Welcome to Life, Lessons, and Laughter with your host, Glenn Ambrose. Hello, everybody. That reminded me of a song, but I don't know which one. <laughs> What's happening, everybody? Hello, hello. Welcome to Life Lessons and Laughter with your host, Glenn Ambrose, uh, coming to you live from the Dominican Republic in the middle of a hurricane. <laughs> hey, April. Yes, about uh, 10 minutes ago, a tree just fell onto the, on the side of my house. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? Hey, Johnny. Welcome, welcome. So, <clears throat> so today we are talking about the ego. You know, I kind of was, <laughs> it's funny how the topics, you know, come up. Um. I was talking about like sometimes when I'm talking about things and explaining things, you know, it's always in the moment and, and information is coming through. And then sometimes information comes through in a different way. Um, you know, that <laughs> I've been explaining it for, you know, for years and years and years and years and uh, then all of a sudden, sometimes the information comes comes out a different way. And, you know, I'm hearing it for the first time, too. So I'm like, ooh, I like that. I like, I like how that came out, you know. So that's kind of what spawned this, this podcast was I was explaining the ego to somebody. And it just kind of started, you know, some of it was very similar, but there was some different aspects of the information that came out that that seemed like it helped with clarity. And I was like, ooh, so maybe I'll do a podcast on that. And here we are a couple of weeks later doing a podcast on this. So, so yes, good evening. Looking forward to this talk tonight, are you? <laughs> yeah. We're going to um, we're going to dive into the ego. So, so you know, where's a good place to start? Um, probably the beginning, right? So the beginning, we come into this world, and we are love. We are open. We are, you know, to. To me, like one of the one of the ways that I can tell that we come into this world and we're so open is because of how dependent we are. Like you know, think about it. think about it, man. It's a little baby, man. Like it, it, it can't do anything for itself. It's completely dependent. And to be dependent, we must be open, right? So they're completely open and they're completely non-judgmental. 
you know, so that there's no, they just love. That's all, you know, and they cry and they poop <laughs> and they sleep <laughs> and they wake up every hour. That's, I heard somebody say years ago, they go, I don't understand why people say sleep like a baby and implement, like when they say they're sleeping good, <laughs> like babies are up every hour, you know? Um, you know, not all of them, but you know what I mean? I, I always get a kick out of that. Um, so we come in and we're open, right? Then what happens? <laughs> then we start learning, you know, we are like they, and they've proven this scientifically. We're like sponges. We absorb everything, man, everything around us. We're just constantly absorbing. There's actually, I believe, um, scientifically, I think the way that they describe it is there's actual sections of our brain that aren't even activated yet. They don't, they don't even bother activating because it's not about that activation or them using their brains at an early age. It's about absorbing information at that age. So they're, they're just enormous sponges. And I mean, you know, they're very sensitive to energy, of course. So they're absorbing all this information about this new place that they're in, you know, and we start, <laughs> we start domesticating them and we start um, giving them social conditioning to teach them, you know, from day one, I mean, you know, what's the first thing that people say when, when there's a baby crying? They, they start trying to figure out how to stop it, right? Like, instead of just letting it cry, like, you know, like, <laughs> if it's feeling something bad, then there must be something wrong. You know, so, like, it, it's okay to not be in a state of pure bliss all the time. <laughs> You know, like it's okay where we live in an experiential reality. So there are times when, when it's appropriate and we're basically supposed to feel sad. Now, it doesn't have to overtake us and overwhelm us and pull us away from the reality that we're loved, we're cared for and everything's okay on a fundamental level. But it's okay to experience sadness. You can experience sadness and still stay connected to the, the, the reality that everything's okay and feel sadness. So we start domesticating the babies and teaching them, you know, the dream of the planet, basically. It's, you know, the way society functions and what's right in time. We start teaching them about time and, and all this stuff is portrayed through our actions and <clears throat> like <clears throat> excuse me like kids is not you know you know how kids um they just they just look at other kids and they're just like you know they'll, they'll be strangers and they'll go on a playground and they'll look at another kid they'll be like hey you want to be best friends yeah okay what do you want to do you want to go on a slide definitely let's go and they go no inhibitions no, what's your personality like? No, are we going to get along? No intellectualizing. It's just, they're just completely open to being best friends. And they just go. Now, that is an example of when the ego is not, you know, you can see that the ego isn't developed yet because they're not concerned with separation. 
They're not concerned with the other person being different than the way they are. That's separation. So, so it, they're just, it's basically, they're kind of acting like they're one. That's why there's no inhibitions. They're like, Hey, do you want to play? Yeah, I want to play. Let's play. That's all. That's, <laughs> that's it. You know, there's, there's no difference between the two people. It's just, they're the same. It's two people who want to play. So they're going to play. So that's a good example where the, the ego has not been developed yet. Okay. So where, where do you see the ego start being developed? You start seeing it when toddlers start going, when, when they start going me and mine, when they learn that word, that's when they're, that's when they're, they're starting to understand separation. They're starting to understand that they are separate than other things. You know, like they're starting to understand that their parents' car is their parents' car. It's theirs. Now, they don't understand this. Okay. So, you know, it take, it, it's, it's actually unnatural. Why? Because in, in truth, in, in just our natural way of being, like, how babies are when they first come in there's no separation we are all one and there's no fear and it's just everything's fine then they start understanding the concept of separation and they, and and individuality so i'm different than you and i'm me and you're you and i have things and you have things and that's all separate so those concepts start sinking in but it's not natural for them. So there's a learning curve. They have to go through this stuff. And this is where you start seeing the, the toddlers going, me, me, mine, mine, mine. You know, <laughs> you can you, you can envision them pulling something away from somebody. Mine, mine. And they're losing their mind over whatever object over that. And the reason that they're losing their mind over it is because they don't understand the ego concept fully yet. So they're, they like they're just getting the fact that they're separate, like that they, they are a self-contained unit, which, you know, energetically, this isn't true. <laughs> but as part of the dream of the planet, they are starting to understand and believe in the 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 false reality that we are separate. So I'm me. And then so they what they do in that situation is they start attaching the things that they have to their own identity. This is why they lose their mind when somebody takes a crayon or tries to take their toy from them. And it doesn't matter if they're playing with that toy. It's not about whether they're using it or whether they're not using it. It's about it being part of them. So the reason they act like somebody is taking a limb <laughs> from them they act like they're taking a limb because as far as they're concerned with the development of the ego it is like somebody's taking a limb like they're you know other than the obvious pain aspect of it there isn't much difference between taking a child's toy and taking a child's arm to them it's the same it's part of them it's their egoic identity this is me. And then my stuff is part of me. This is me. And then this is me. And this is, and my phone is definitely me. So this is me. Now, if somebody tries to take this, 
I'm less than myself. They're taking a part of me. So this is what their mind is telling them. Because, you know, they, they haven't figured out all the rules of the egoic identity yet. You know, it's developing. They're young. It's, it's a very, like, if, if you don't know, like, you know, we are so accustomed to the dream of the planet that we actually think it's reality. Like most people think it's reality, <laughs> you know, which I've said this many times. It's, it's, it's like this, it's one of my favorite parts of, of spirituality is people find out I'm spiritual and they think I'm all woo woo and, and, and my, my ideas are out there and they have no substance and all this stuff. And then, and then you bring into how they live life and they're like, and, and then you break it down and you show them how the way they're living life doesn't work. Like, like one thing I might do a, uh, I might do a um, podcast on down the road is like most people, an average of 75%, maybe, maybe even a little bit higher than that, um, say they're not really happy with their life. You know, they're not living their best life. They're, so, you know, they're, they're not happy, we'll say. Right. But most people, if you talk to them about a different way of looking at things, they defend their way of looking at it. <laughs> what sense does that make? Like, OK, you're unhappy. The way you look at things is making you unhappy. And then when I show you a different way to look at things, that would actually make your existence happier and more pleasant. You resist it and you defend your right to be unhappy. You defend your, the way of thinking that is causing you suffering. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, you know, but this is a society we live in. We do all kinds of things that don't make sense. So, and hey, Sarah, hey, Linda. <laughs> yeah, this, you know, so it's, you know, when we're, it, people defend their right to be unhappy because we're addicted to this dream of the planet and we call it reality, <laughs> which is hilarious. So, so as, you know, as we grow, let me see where else I'm going to go with this. And if you guys have questions, uh, shoot them out. Um, so yeah, another way, like when you're talking about, <laughs> Hey Jen, yes, I'll stay safe. Did it, did I, I, I think I mentioned, yeah, a, a, <laughs> a tree just fell on my house like 10 minutes ago. Hilarious. Fine. No damage. But, uh, but yeah, we got a little the edge of a, of a hurricane going on. Hey, Michelle. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, like when you can, when you're, when you're explaining stuff like this, a lot of times when you're explaining an ego, the ego to somebody and you explain, like if you use an example in their real life, it's hard for them to see and understand your, what you're saying because 
there's emotion around it and we defend our perspectives, you know? So, so like, um, if somebody gets their, you know, if somebody gets their car, if somebody smashes into somebody's car, right. And you go, well, that's your attachment to your, your egoic attachment to the car. You know, like you're not less than you're okay. You can get the car fixed. You don't have to be upset over it. Oh, (laughs) they get very upset. Whenever you tell somebody that they don't have to be upset, they get very upset. (laughs) How's that for ironic, right? It's like, so what we've done in our social conditioning is we've married those two. We've married the two pieces that are like, hey, um, I something happened that I wouldn't have chosen and therefore I have to be upset. We've married those two. We think that they're one and they're not. We don't have to get upset just because something happened in our lives that we don't enjoy. And we don't have to feel like a victim just because something happened. Like, you know, I I was in good space a couple of years ago and somebody hit my car and I didn't, I was like, when did, you know, I just walked out to get in my car and it was, it was dented. And I'm like, when the hell did this happen? <laughs> you know, I'm looking around. I don't, I don't see any evidence. I don't see any, like I was pointed nose in and it was on the nose. And I'm like, nobody, I don't think anybody could have hit me. Like what, you know, why, why is, you know, I couldn't figure out what happened. So, but I was in good space. So I was like, okay, well, I can't, you know, is there any way that I'm going to figure out what happened? No, not really. I mean, the only thing I could come up with was there was some white paint. So it might've been a white, white car that hit me. So maybe I had backed in some other day and maybe one of my neighbors hit it when they were pulling in or something. So I went and looked around and, you know, there were no white cars around or if there was, there wasn't any with any damage. So I'm like, yeah, well, that's it. You know, that (laughs) that's the extent of my research here because I have nothing else to go on. I don't even know when this happened. It wasn't huge. It could have been there for two weeks. I don't know. You know, so I went to, okay. So what should I do? And my brain went, well, that's BS, man. Somebody hit your car and they didn't even have the courtesy to leave a note. And as soon as that thought went through, I looked at it and I went, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going down that road. I'm I'm not going, oh, my ego's hurt because somebody hit my car and they didn't leave a note. What's wrong with the people in this world? Oh, woe is me. Every uh, 150 years ago, people used to leave notes when they, they, they hit somebody else's car. Now we live in this horrible world. Oh, everybody's evil. <laughs> I wasn't going down that road. Who knows, man? So, so like what I did, as soon as I caught myself trying to do that, I went, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Like, let's, let's have some alternatives. Like, you know, what if it was some young kid that just got their license and was scared to death that their parents were going to punish them? So they they bolted as quick as they could or, you know, who knows? Who knows? It, it, it could have been lots of different scenarios. 
you know, maybe maybe there was some abusive husband that there, and, and if the wife would have gotten in trouble for hitting a car, something would have happened. You know, like we we don't know uh, what other people are going through. Through we don't know the reasons. So it was just like, okay, well, you know, I don't know. And I'm not going to find out unless somebody has a stroke of, you know, conscience and comes drops off a note in the future. And if that happens, I'll deal with it then. But in the meantime, let's just focus on the solution. Okay, find out who can fix it. Get it fixed. Boom, boom, boom. You know, and you move on with your life. But I didn't have to get upset over it. So... We're so attached to our ego that if somebody says, you know, like, well, you, you don't have to be upset. You, you could just go to the solution. Oh, well, it's like it's like we're we don't understand acceptance when it comes to the ego. Like acceptance is just accepting the reality that something happened and choosing not to suffer anymore over it. That's all. It's it's very acceptance and forgiveness are very closely related. They're basically the same energy. You're just you're not approving of what happened. You're just saying the reality is, is that it did happen. It did happen. And now I'm going to I don't want to walk around feeling like a victim of it. You know, like this is why I always phrase things in a way where I'm not the victim. Because I don't want my ego. The worst thing that you can do for your ego, the, the best way to build your ego is to be right. We're addicted to being right. We want to be right. And you can see that in society now. Everybody argues over stuff. Why? Because they want to be right. It's not okay for other people to have other opinions anymore. Why? Is because we're overly ego identified. We think our ego is us. We think we are our ego. If if our ego spits out a thought and says, um, "Well, this person might be might be trying to screw you over," we're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe this person's screwing me over." Like they actually are, or like they actually have the ability to. And we get all upset and we adjust our, our behaviors to defend ourselves from some attack because our ego sent out a warning sign. You know, so this is, I guess this is where I'm going to go. Um, <clears throat> and, and hey, yes, Denise. Yeah, bummer on the tree. It's all good. <laughs> it's only a portion of a tree, I think. <laughs> I'm just checking out the. Uh... Okay, let's see what this one is from April. If someone is unhappy with everything in life when there is so much good, what do you say to them to see the other side? It's really hard to be around somebody like that. Well, you know, the, the foundational thing is we have to understand that we are not here to change everybody. So like it's, I don't say anything to get them to see the other side. You know, this is, this is something that's been coming up more and more. Like the, the first thing we have to do is get clear on the energy 
And, you know, you know, some people say, oh, it's semantics, Glenn. You're being too picky on the words. No, it's the energy in which the statement. What do you see? What do you say to them to see the other side? I don't say anything to get them to see the other side because that's manipulation energy. That's me trying to control. That's me trying to control an outcome. That's me having an expectation. That's me deeming what I, the way I look at things is right and the way everybody else looks at things is bad. Now, I mean, I'm on a podcast, so of course I'm going to preach what I have to say, <laughs> my perspectives. But in my real life, if somebody's going to disagree with me, that's okay. Like, in fact, like a lot, you know, I would probably say 75% of the time when somebody's negative, I leave them alone. Because 75% of the time, it's obvious to me that they have no interest in changing. You know, you need to be open-minded, you need to be honest, and you need to be willing to change. Most people are not open-minded. They are not capable of being honest with themselves, and they are not willing to change. They're not trying to change. They're not looking to change. So the chances of changing somebody are slim to none unless they are open to it. So all I do is plant seeds. If I'm going to say anything, it's a seed plant. It's not to try to get somebody to 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 be viewing something different it's just to plant the seed and then they and, and to see if they pick up on it you know i give people information for a couple reasons one i'm a talker and two i <laughs> i think it's i think it's courteous to give people information you know like i i don't walk like if somebody asks me a question i don't say no and walk away i say no and i give them an answer i do not give them an answer to try to change their mind. I give them an answer to plant a seed, to just throw information out there. It's like I'm fishing. I just throw it in the water and walk away. And if they, they take the bait, cool. If they don't, cool. I have no attachment to it. You know, so like with my clients, I can talk about stuff. People who are not my clients, I mean, I've literally told them, I'm not like, you know, they, they ask me a question and I go, I'm not debating my belief systems with you. You know, if I know that they, they have external belief systems that are against mine, I'm kind of familiar with this person that, you know, there's a good chance they're being antagonistic. Well, if, if I'm dealing with somebody like that and I just did it a few weeks ago, it's like, I'll tell them, listen, I'll answer your question, but I'm not getting into an argument over it. I'm not discussing it after. I'm not debating it with you. I'm not defending my, my perspective. You have your perspective and you can have it. I have mine. I'll share mine with you because you asked. But if you disagree with it, I'm not going back and forth with you wasting my time. Because, you know, <laughs> I don't think you really want to hear it anyway. <laughs> so, But I do like planting seeds. So I go plant a seed. And then the person came back and, you know, was in, in an email form. And they said, they said, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but, and then went against everything that I had said. And I just emailed back and I said, I'm not, I told you, I'm not debating this. I, I, I explained my way of looking at it. If you don't want to look at, at it that way, don't look at it that way. No harm, no foul. Go about your life. I'm not, but I'm not debating it with you. I'm not going to try to convince you 
because most people have no interest in being convinced. They want to argue and defend their point against your point. You know, and I get into those conversations every once in a while just because. And it always ends up the same way. You know, they, they, they just double down. Whenever I make a point that actually has validity, they just wipe it away. <laughs> you know, this is what the ego does. It's just like the, it locks on and it wants to be right. And what it does is it just, it will literally dismiss information. People do it all the time. And when you catch somebody doing it really specifically, everybody gets upset and they go, oh my God, do you believe this person literally just disregarded reality and pushed it aside and was just like, no, do you believe they did that? I'm like, yeah, people do it every day, all the time. I still do it sometimes. Everybody does it. But when you see it in somebody else really clearly, it's like, oh, my God, how are they just dismissing reality? It's like we all dismiss reality. There's tens of thousands of bits of information that we are exposed to every second. We're constantly choosing what we want to put our attention to and what we don't want to put our attention to and rationalizing our behavior. You know, do you know anybody that doesn't think they're a good person? And yet there's a bunch of crappy people out there. It's because we rationalize our behaviors. You know, everybody walks around like, you know, you can see this in social media a lot and, and in, in life. You know, uh, everybody walks around, you know, you know, when when um, somebody's really fishing for attention, like on social media and they're they're like, uh, don't you hate it? When you're there for somebody and then like when it's your turn, they're not there for you. Like, you know, every, that has happened to everybody. And every aspect of it has happened to everybody. Like there has been times in my life and there's been times in everybody else's life where somebody thought that I should be doing something for them that I wasn't doing. And, it, and it's happened to every one of you too. Somebody throughout your life, multiple people have thought that you could have done something to help them and you didn't. People think that about you. Why? Because it's coming from their perspective. That's why. And then when it happens to us, we go, I, I'm always there for other people. I oh, No, you're not. You're there for other people whenever you realize that you can be there for other people. Whenever it crosses your consciousness, whenever you latch onto it, whenever you see it from your perspective, then maybe you're there for other people. And if you're not, then you just rationalize and make excuses. You go, oh, well, like even if it is in your consciousness and you think there's a part of you that thinks that you should be there for somebody else, but you kind of can't because you have to get your kid to a soccer game and you're already running late. So you don't, but the other person doesn't know that. So, so you just go take care of your kid and you go, well, I can't be there for everybody all the time. I have a busy life. I had to get my kid to a soccer game and you and I'm not saying that your disrationalization is wrong and you should have helped them. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you make it okay in your head. And that person over there that you didn't help doesn't know that. So they're still over there thinking that you should have helped them when you didn't help them. You see, th this, is, this, is <laughs> this is what happens when we're so ego identified. 
we rationalize our behaviors to be right. And then we judge other people who don't live up to what we're not living up to. You know, none of us are perfect. So the worst thing we can do is make ourselves right. That's what's going to feed the ego. <clears throat> um, let's see what else. <laughs> the information's coming in like choppy tonight. It's like, like blocks. And then they just kind of end. I wonder if it has something to do with the storm, like the energy. Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? You know, that's a, that's a really good rule to go through life is, is figuring that out. You know, it's because you can't have both. If you're right, then you're probably feeding your ego, you know, because, uh, because it, it's really not that important to be right because right is transitory. So, okay. I guess this is where I'm going to go. <laughs> the ego how do you know when you're functioning from the ego? How do you know when you're functioning from your true self? So, so we are spiritual beings having a human experience. So we are supposed to be identified as a spiritual being, as an eternal being, uh, a loving being that is eternal, that is cared for, supported, loved beyond measure. That's, that's the reality. That's a truth of what we are. That's what we are. That's what stays. And then we're that spiritual being having a human experience. So we're here temporarily in an existence that constantly changes and where everything is temporary, where your car is going to be dust someday. So when you're overly concerned with the temporal, which most people are, that is when you are identified with the ego where you're concerned with the ego when you're concerned with the eternal principles. See the eternal has principles, things like love, truth, um, joy, connection, um, peace. So those are qualities, those, the, you know, so, so those, when we're, when we're concerned with those, so like in a real life situation, that would be like, you know, I, am I, am I concerned with, with whether I'm right in this conversation? That's temporal. Or am I concerned that am I being loving? That's eternal. Okay. Are you being loving? Are you more concerned with, are you being loving or are you more concerned with, are you being right? Can you prove that you're right? You know, we put so much, <laughs> we put so much weight on being right. And there isn't right. Like there isn't a right and a wrong. There's just perspectives. There's different perspectives on everything. And that's, you know, this, that's one of the first things that whenever I'm in a conversation with somebody ego identified i just tell people that hey that, like it's it's you know you have your perspective and i have my perspective you have your opinion and i have my opinion and what they always say is no i have facts 
No, you don't. You have little bits of information that slant in the direction of what you believe to be true. And then you use it. And I have those too on my side. I have little bits of information that I gathered together to form my opinion. And they slant in my direction. Not One's not right and one's not wrong. This is why nothing ever gets accomplished in politics. is because they just argue. Well, we're right. No, you're not. Nobody's right. <laughs> They, their, their focus is being right. It has nothing to do with solving a problem. This is why problems don't get solved, because they're not trying to solve problems. They're trying to gain power. How do you gain power? By, by convincing most people that you're right. If you can convince more people that you're right than the other side, well, then you gain power because more people back you. So all they want to do is be right and prove or or just as effective Prove the other side wrong. That's all they want to do. This is why nothing ever gets done. Because as soon as as soon as the Democrats come up with something good to do, well, the 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 Republicans have to smash it. Because if they actually succeed, then a bunch of people are going to support them because they did something good. We can't have that. We have to smash that. We have to keep that down. We have to keep one side down, and then we have to lift our side up. And we're doing both at the same time. And and it goes both ways. If the Republicans want to accomplish something, then the Democrats have to crap on it. And, and, and most of society is sitting there getting involved in this game. It's a freaking seesaw match. That's all it is. It never goes anywhere. It never accomplishes anything. What do you accomplish sitting on a seesaw going back and forth? Nothing. You just go back and forth. 40 years later, they're still going to be going back and forth. Nothing actually ever gets accomplished. So, Carl, <clears throat> does everyone have ego problems? Yeah, pretty much. So, this is important. It's important to understand the way we talk about the ego is we talk about it like it's bad. The ego is not bad. Why? Because we all have one. That's how I know it's not bad. Because we were created by some sort of divine intelligence. Something really freaking smart made us. So we have a heart. Why? Because it needs to pump blood. We have a brain. Why? So we can think. There's, there's a reason for everything. So if, if everybody has an ego, then that tells me that there's a purpose for it. You know, and if there's a purpose for it, there's a positive purpose for it. Because why, why wouldn't divine intelligence say, I'm going to include something that hurts everyone all the time? Like, no. The problem is not that we have an ego, so it should not be our enemy. And that's a general spiritual rule. Um, we must cease fighting everything and everyone. They teach that in recovery. Like, and, and we, we must stop denying the reality of things. Like we, we can't, we, th there's, we cannot defeat something by fighting it. The only way we can get rid of something is by starving it because everything is energy, right? So we have to starve off our ego. Why? Because we're over-identified. That's why. That's the problem. The problem is not that we have an ego. 
The problem is that we think we are our ego. When our ego says something, we, we think that that's us. When we are the consciousness listening to what our ego says, when our ego says something, we hear it. We are the consciousness. We are the awareness that hears what our ego is saying. And we think that that's us. And it's not. That's the problem. We are over-identified with our ego. So our ego runs us. And the ego just like, so here, the ego's purpose is to keep us safe. It's our warning detector. Because like I said earlier, we are exposed to 30,000 bits of information every second or something. So we can't pay attention to everything. So our ego, like if, you know, I've said this before, if you built, if you were going to build a robot that said its sole purpose was to protect people from danger, what would you make that ego look for? Joyful, pleasant things? No, it's not its purpose. Would you have it look for danger? Yes. Why? So we can warn you of the danger because that's its purpose. This is what our ego's purpose is. It's to warn us of danger. Now, what's happened over the years is, you know, a long time ago when we were created, we actually, there was physical danger that we needed to be protected from on a regular basis. So our ego was like, Hey, there's rustling in that bush. There might be a wild animal in there. You better watch out. Oh, and we put our attention on it. Like, what's in that bush? Do I need to protect myself? I'm on guard just in case. Okay, it's nothing. Or, okay, it's something. And we move on. But what happened is we have taken out, basically, we have taken out on a daily basis, we have taken out the danger out of society. I mean, most people walk through their daily life without having their life endangered. You know, I mean, I suppose in the inner city, that could be a little bit different. But I know there was portions of my life where I was in dangerous situations on a regular basis. And it screwed with my nervous system after doing that for so many years. It took me. Yeah, it took me some work to undo that because I was just so on guard all the time. <clears throat> but our ego is our warning system. So what it is, is, you know, I liken it to a motion detector light. Because, you know, if you have a motion detector light outside your house and it goes off and you see it go off, what you do is you go look out the window that's the important part. You go look out the window. Why? So you can determine whether there's danger or not. You see, the ego is the same thing. It goes off. It's, it sends, but it doesn't turn a light on. What it does is it, it, it um, sends a voice through that says, hey, watch out. Hey, they, you could experience some suffering if you go in this direction, you know? So when it does that, it's, we just think it's us and we assume something's wrong, but the ego doesn't have, it's like a motion detector light. It doesn't have reasoning capabilities. It can't determine if there's actually danger or if there's not danger. It's just a warning system. You know, it doesn't think it doesn't it doesn't weigh out options. It doesn't 
It just sends a signal. Hey, watch out. And we think it's us and then we act on it. And we're constantly on edge because we're constantly listening to this ego that is constantly warning us of danger everywhere we look. This person might be screwing us all over. I might not like my job. I might have to quit my job. My boss might be a jerk. Uh, I might not be able to pay my bills. My kid might not be able to make the team that he wants to make. My, my kid's teacher might be uh, mistreating him. My kid might be mistreating the teacher. <laughs> like, and we've got all this stuff going around. And we, we don't navigate any of it. We just believe all of it. We never look out the window to see if there's actually danger and engage our brain and our logical mind to figure out whether we should act or whether we should not act, whether we should take this seriously or whether we shouldn't take it seriously. You know, so the more the, 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 the motion detector light goes off, you look out the window and you see the bunny hopping across the lawn and you go, oh, OK, it's just the bunny that set it off. No danger. And you go sit back down on the couch and it's fine. Or you look out the window and you go, oh, my God, there's a bunch of men with guns coming at me. And then now I'm I am in danger. Thank you for the warning. Now I have to go run or go do something. You know, that that's the piece that we're missing. We're missing our brain to make the decision. We're supposed to be making the decision whether something is dangerous or not. Not our ego. It's just a warning system. This is why we're constantly in fight or flight. We're constantly stressed out because we're constantly believing our ego. Because every time it says something, which is just a warning, we believe it to be true. <clears throat> so we have to differentiate ourselves. That's our job is to differentiate. So we have to create separation between us and our ego. You know, so we have to become the observer of it. You know, that's the first thing that, that becoming the observer is such a paramount thing because it, it, it fixes all kinds of problems. <laughs> you know, we run around living unconsciously while being the observer brings consciousness into a situation because it creates space. And once we create space, a lot of times we can think and choose how to act instead of react. Most people go through life just reacting. And if you ask people this, they, they would deny it. Like, do, do, <laughs> do you know why, you're do, why you do what you do? Of course I do. Things are very well thought out. Now, 90% of the time... When, when, when you're in a conversation and ends up in an argument and you don't know how you got there, that's because you were unconscious. <laughs> you know, it's we're, we're constantly reacting and, and our brain is a computer. So we can either use it like to research things. I'll put in this information. I'll see what comes out. Does that make sense? I'll use my reasoning ability. We can use it properly or we can use it unconsciously where it just spits out information, stimuli, information, stimuli, information. And we're in such a fast paced world and we are such habitual beings that most of our stuff is, is just unconscious and habitual. Somebody cuts you off, ah, jerk. That's a reaction. That's not a chosen response. 
This is why we're so, you know how earlier I was talking about people like think that they have to get upset over something. That's because every time something happens, they get upset. So they think that, well, that's what you do. You just get upset. Well, no, that's, that's just an unconscious reaction. If you slow down and you go, whoa, that scared me. Okay. Am I all right? Yes. Okay. Whew. All right. Well, I, you know, I was scared for a minute, but that scared, not angry, scared. You got scared. That's an appropriate response. Somebody cut you off. You didn't expect it. You got scared. Anger is not a natural response to that. That's a conditioned response. You know, some people get scared. Some people get angry. So, so, you know, Becoming the observer creates space, and then we can choose how to interact with situations. We can choose if something's danger or whether it's not danger. We can choose if something is consequential or whether it's not consequential. We can choose if what our ego, like our ego is non-thinking, so it just sends out stuff. What, like most, most of the time, what's really ironic about the ego is this proves it's a non-thinking entity because most of the things that your ego is warning you about is emotional suffering. Because like I said, there's not that much physical danger in our lives anymore, right? So it's, it's constantly warning you about um, emotional suffering. And the ironic part is most people are emotionally suffering in, already in a situation and then the ego comes in and then like, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to give an example. Like if I'm working with somebody, so if I'm working with somebody and they go, yeah, well, you know, like, uh, I'm, uh, I'm suffering about this. And I go, well, why don't you do that? You go, well, I can't do that because of this. It's like, well, yeah, but like, if you, if you do anything other than what you're doing right now, you have a 50-50 shot at least of not suffering. If you do anything, absolutely anything, even if it's stupid, you have a 50-50 shot at not suffering in the future. If you do anything, just about anything. I mean, <laughs> some stuff, it's obvious that it's stupid. I'm not talking about that stuff. You know, I'm not saying that like if you're emotionally suffering, then I, then anything, including sticking a knife in a life sock, light socket, then you have, a, you know, no, if you consciously go out and do something stupid, that's going to induce more suffering. Of course, you're going to suffer more. What I'm saying is just rational thoughts. Most things you have a, at minimum 50, 50 shot, whether you're going to be suffering in the future or whether you're not going to be suffering. If you do nothing, there's a hundred percent chance that you're going to be suffering. How do you know this? Because you're already suffering. That's how. And your ego says, don't go do that thing. It might not work out and you might suffer because that's what it's warning you of. I mean, you know, it, like follow it through. Like when your ego says it might not work out, well, why does it want you? Why is it warning you to not do something that might not work out? Well, because if it doesn't work out, you would suffer. So it's warning you about suffering. That's what it's always warning you about. So you're suffering and your ego is saying, don't go try something different because you might suffer. What sense does that make? 
you're literally suffering now. And if you don't change anything, you're going to be suffering tomorrow. <laughs> and if you don't change anything tomorrow, you're going to be suffering the next day. And if you don't change anything, you're going to be suffering five years from now. Guaranteed. How do I know? Because you're suffering now. It's not going to magically stop. You're doing the way you're living is causing suffering. So if you don't do something different, you will be continue suffering. Guaranteed. So, but your ego says, well, don't do that because you might suffer. I'm already suffering. This is what, so, so you see, it doesn't have thinking capabilities. <clears throat> so I think what I'm going to do is go into into, you know, when we start doing the work, um, we have to let go of our identity as our ego. We have to let go of, of this idea that, you know, I am, my name is Glenn Ambrose and I'm a, this white dude um, with brown hair and blue eyes and I live in the DR and these are my parents and and I did steel work when I was young and then I was a personal trainer and now I'm a life coach. That's all temporary. That's, that's just different roles that I've played while I'm here on earth. It's not who I am. Who I am is a spiritual being. And when I'm not in this body anymore, I'm still, when, when, when my egoic identity is gone at the end of this lifetime, then I'm still going to be me. That's what I truly am. I'm an eternal spiritual being. So that's what I am. I have to understand that that's, and, and ground in that, and then understand that these are just roles that I'm playing in different areas of life. Sometimes I play a father. Sometimes I play a life coach. It's not real. You know, oh, I, I, I just thought of this post I saw a little while ago that I reposted. It was from Deepak Chopra. He said, once I understood that Deepak Chopra was a fic fictional char character, I stopped taking him so seriously. And this is what it is. This is what creates separation. When we stop thinking that that's who we are, because that's all temporal, right? So this is why people people's happiness is based on their circumstances, Whatever's happening in their life, you know, if, if they're at, at a comedy movie, they're laughing and everything's wonderful. If they go out and somebody scratched their car, then they're miserable. If somebody says hi to them that they like, they're happy. If somebody walks by without acknowledging them, then they're sad. Anything that happens in life dictates how they feel. And they're on an emotional roller coaster all the time because they're not in control of how they feel. That's because they're overly identified with the ego. The ego is transitory. Everything is constantly changing. So you're on an emotional roller coaster all the time if that's your basis for reality. But if your basis for reality is eternal, you go, okay, I'm an eternal being. I'm loved. I'm okay. Everything's fine. This is just temporary. And I'm going to have a myriad of experiences while I'm here. And I don't have to take them so seriously because they're not the end all be all. Then you can sit back in this seat of safety, create a little space, and then you can start interacting with life. 
oh, that person ignored me. Yeah, whatever. There's 8 billion people on the world, on the planet. Like I'm going to get all freaked out because somebody has something going on inside of them that I don't know. I don't, I didn't do anything to make them ignore me. So if they ignored me, that must be something going on inside of them. That's their shit. Ain't mine. I'm not going to wreck my day because they're having a bad one or they, or, or maybe they blamed me for something or whatever. I don't care. It's their stuff. It's really not that important. You know, when we're not latched on to, oh, everybody has to like me or, 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 you know, everything has to go perfectly. Uh, the, the, the standards we have for life are ridiculous. Somebody does, somebody, <laughs> somebody got upset with me. Oh no. What if, what if they tell their friends? Oh my God. They could tell their friends. What if they tell their friends that that something bad about me, and then and then their friends believe, it and then there's a bunch of people who don't think I'm a wonderful person? Oh my God! Who cares? <laughs> really? I'm telling you, man. I've been on this spiritual path for over 19 years, and am I perfect? No, but I do. I really walk the walk to the best of my ability. I treat other people with respect as much as possible. And I live by spiritual principles. And after 19 years, there are still people who think I'm a complete jackass. That's all right. They have the right to their opinion. Why, why are we so concerned that everybody has to think like we think? Why is this? Why are we so concerned that everybody has to agree with us? Do you see the correlation? It's because we're ego-centered. So we want to be right. We want to be special. Why? Because it increases separation. This is why we demonize people too. You know, when we break up, we're like, oh, you know, I, I, I wish I would have known that that this person wasn't really committed to a serious relationship and they didn't want to be in one. They didn't know that. Like, <laughs> you know, like nobody's feelings have ever, ever changed for another human being ever on the planet. Yet they haven't gone through enough experiences where they decided to, to people haven't broken up. Like before, like, you know, I mean, I've been in love and then over, you know, after a, a, a series of things that have happened, not been in love. Now, I still love those women because like once I love somebody, I always have love for them, but I'm not in love with them and I shouldn't be in a relationship with them. Doesn't mean I'm going to have a, a, a fruitful existence with them in the future. Doesn't mean it wouldn't, but it doesn't mean it would. The, the two aren't the same. <laughs> see, I, see, Kim said I was a jackass. She knows me pretty well. I know you're teasing. <clears throat> so, so yeah, so so what we we need to we need to create separation, become the observer, and start just you know that's the best thing you can do is just be the observer of your thoughts, be the observer of your ego. Try not to be uh, 
committed to being right. Allow yourself, allow other people to have other opinions and perspectives. It's fine. It's okay. It's actually the way it's supposed to be. So all that stuff. And when you start diving into some deep spiritual work, a lot of times what happens is it feels like we're dying. And, you know, when you, when you talk about this, like people are like, oh, so that means it's really hard. No, it literally feels like you're freaking dying. Like, it, <laughs> you know, like it's when I've had, you know, I've had to go through some portals through some awakenings and it happened in my initial awakenings. It happened um, about eight years later, another time. And I think it happened one other time. But those two were extreme. And I had to, I had to go through these, these portals of pain to get to the other side. I, I needed to allow to let go, allow myself to let go of who I thought I was and what I thought my life was going to consist of. See, like when people's lives are falling apart, they're focused on what's falling apart. It's the same thing that's happening in the world today with this big spiritual shift. You know, society is falling apart and everybody's looking at society falling apart and they're going, oh no, society is falling apart. This is horrible. It's like, no, wait, society is messed up. That's why it's falling apart. It's because it's unsustainable. It's broken. It's messed up. It was never going to last. So it's so the fact that it's falling apart is a good thing. I understand that it's painful. I understand that it's difficult, but that doesn't mean it's bad. Not everything in this world that turns into good feels good. If you create something that's horrible and then you attach to it, when it falls apart, if you're attached to it, it's going to feel like everything you created is falling apart. Oh, no. Oh, no. You have to stop and go, wait, is what I created good? And then you can start understanding the good and the creation of what's coming to replace it. There is no end. <laughs> like there isn't. We're eternal. There isn't an end. So when society falls apart, we have to get busy right now creating a new paradigm. This is why I'm talking to you guys about all this stuff. So you start understanding this and start creating a new paradigm. How are we going to create a new society based in love? Well, the way we're going to create that is to create individual realities based in love. Because that's what society is. Society is a group of people. So the reason society is dysfunctional right now is because most individuals within the society are dysfunctional. That's why society is dysfunctional. You see, this is what's funny is everybody's like, oh, society is so messed up. Jeez. Look at all the problems in the world. Isn't it messed up? Yeah, you're part of it. <laughs> What do you think society is? You know, the society that's falling apart, that's a bunch of people who think just like you. That's what it is. <laughs> so that's why it's suffering. Just like you're suffering, it's suffering. I mean, now, if you've, you know, if you've, if you've had some awakenings and come outside of that, obviously, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking to people who haven't come through the, out the other side yet. And, and I'm not saying that to imply that you're bad. It's not bad. 
It just is. We were taught to be like this. We were conditioned. We were domesticated. We were taught since birth to be dysfunctional, and we are. I'm still dysfunctional in ways. It's okay. There's no judgment here. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying, factually, it's dysfunctional. Dysfunctional means it doesn't work. So if you have 75% of the people on the planet that are unhappy, that means it doesn't work. Whatever the hell, whatever system they're living in, and when you have the top 1% that owns 90% of the money, like these systems don't work. When you have a government that doesn't solve problems, it doesn't work. Like nothing in our society works and everybody's freaking out because it's falling apart. Good. Let it fall apart. Let it die. It's the collective ego that's dying. Good. Focus on building the new paradigm. How do you focus on building a new paradigm? By destroying your own ego. Well, not destroying it. We're not fighting it, right? <laughs> you got to be careful of my words. So by starving your own ego, by creating separation and letting it fall apart, allowing it to fall apart. So we have to allow it to fall apart. We have to allow it to die off. Portions of it. It's not going to all die off. I mean, if... And I mean, if it did, we'd be, you know, like, I mean, even Eckhart Tolle, which is one of the people on the planet that is probably the closest to the absolute. And that's not just my opinion. Many deeply spiritual people, including Deepak, have said that he's close, close. He's one of the closest to the absolute we have in the public. You know, I, I there's there's probably a lot more of them like in India, in the mountains and in, in, in Tibetan monasteries and all kinds of stuff, you know, they're out there, but I'm talking about in the public to Eckhart Tolle is one of the most awakened people. He, he has one of the, uh, the, the, the smallest attachments to ego, you know, in, in the public spotlight right now. So, you, you know, like you could die off and completely awaken like that. And that's fine. You'd be extremely happy. You, you, you wouldn't be exactly like him because you're different, right? We're individuals, but you'd, you'd be, he's peaceful all the time and be a good existence, you know, but most people like me wake up and portions of their ego fall away. So we start living more authentically with our eternal selves more interested in eternal principles i'm more interested in living in peace like nothing is more important to me than living peacefully nothing and sometimes i get caught up in things and i get pulled away from that reality and when i recognize that i come right back and go okay centered now what's what's more important my peace is the most important thing that's an eternal principle so, so that means I'm functioning from my eternal aspect. I'm not concerned about, well, is my, you know, is my internet working? That doesn't mean I stop trying to get my internet working. It just means that my, I'm, as I work to get my internet working, you know, this was from when I first moved here, as I work to get my internet working, I'm going to do it peacefully. I'm going to be doing it calm. I don't need to be upset. I don't need to panic because it's not that freaking important. What's important is my peace. And then I can do, we can do anything in two different energies. 
We can be like, oh my God, I'm late. I'm going to go. Everybody's going to be pissed at me. I can't believe I'm late. Oh my God. Where's my keys? Okay, there's my key. We run out to the, oh crap. I forgot my phone. I forgot my phone. All right, I got to go back and get my phone. I trip. Oh my God, I dropped my bag. Now I got to put everything back in my bag, grab my phone, go. And then we're even more late. That's one energy. That's one way of doing something. Another way is going, oh my God, I'm late. Whoa, whoa, okay. All right, I'm late. Center. First thing is my peace. Relax. Hold on a minute. Okay. All right. You centered? Yes. Okay. How can I get there the quickest, most efficient way? I need to grab my keys, my phone, my wallet. Okay. Is there anything else I need? No. Okay. Let's go. Boom, boom, boom. Briskly walk out the door, get in the car and you go. You see, it's it it act when you live this way, it actually makes you more functional. You make less excuses. Your heart rate isn't through the roof. Your immune system isn't getting compromised because you just pushed yourself into fight or flight by freaking out because you were going to be 10 minutes late for something. And somebody might judge you because you were 10 minutes late. Ooh. They, everybody in the world, everybody has been 10 minutes late. Everybody in the world. So if they're judging you, that's their problem. They're not looking at life realistically. Let them. Why? Because you're focused on the eternal principles. You're focused on being peaceful. And whether some person decides to judge you temporarily for something that happens in everyday life and think you're a bad person because of that is temporal. And it's just not that important. We put importance on things that are not important because we live in an ever-changing reality. So when you're, when you're, <clears throat> when portions of your ego are dying off <clears throat> so you can be less identified with it, <clears throat> there are times when we're being introspective that it's overwhelming the fear that we experience because we don't know who we're going to be if we're not our ego, because that's how identified with our ego we are. We're so identified with our ego that we think it's us. So the thought of not being the ego is literally petrifying because it's like, it's like what it's the unknown. We're like, well, what am I going to be? Like, but what, I don't know. And we think we're supposed to know, <laughs> which scares us even more. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, my God. Oh, so like the first time I went through this, you know, I, I, I had a I have a <laughs> I have a pretty specific personality. And I've been this way for quite a while, like like even my sense of humor stuff which comes out now, like I don't crack as many jokes now. Um, sometimes I do like in my, <laughs> in my social life, you know, outside of teaching, but like, but um, like my, I was voted class clown all the way through school, you know, like elementary school, junior high school, high school. Like, so humor is a part of my personality. Um I would say like a wit is part of my personality and there's lots of other parts of my personality. I can be very, um, 
intense. Intensity is a part of my personality. So there's lots of different parts of my personality, just like everybody else. Well, when I was standing at the cusp of awakening, it I was scared. Like when I was introspective and I was like feeling this, I have to let go of who I think I am or something. And I, I mean, I didn't fully understand it, of course, but it was just like, I was choosing to let go of everything that I knew about life and to try to live a different way. And for me to do that, I had to become a blank slate. I had to let go of everything I thought to be true. I had to open up to different ways of thinking. And that's scary because I didn't know who I was going to be. I was like, what's going to happen to my personality? Like, am I going to still have a sense of humor? It, it, like, am I going to be intense or am I going to be like numb all the time? Like what, what, like what's, these are the questions that go through most people's minds. Like what, wh who am I going to be? And you, you're not going to know until you're on the other side. But the important thing is you don't lose your personality. I mean, I have just as much personality now, if not more than before, because I'm less inhibited, inhibited than I was before. So more, uh, I'm more, anchored into my authentic self so I can be even more of myself now. And that's what happens, but it's not going to feel like that at first. I can tell you that that is what's going to happen. Like you are going to become more of yourself, more authentically you, and it's going to be enjoyable, but you're, you're not going to know that really until you experience it. It's just a thought form until you experience it. So I can say it until I'm blue in the face. It's not going to take your fear away. You're still going to feel that fear. But you have to go through it anyway. You know, and the way that I got through it is I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I refused to live the way that I was living anymore. You know, a lot of times people ask me like, oh, you know, everybody wants a spiritual awakening. How did you awaken? Well, I awoken because I was suicidal. That was you know, <laughs> as warped as that is, that 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 was a huge catalyst because I was unwilling. I had gotten to the point in my life where I was unwilling to continue living the way that I was living. It wasn't going to happen, period. Bar nothing. I was done suffering. I wasn't going to live like that. So I was either going to awaken or I was going to blow my head off. One of the two, but I wasn't continuing. And that's warped and I, you know, don't necessarily recommend dabbling with suicidal tendencies. I wasn't dabbling in it. I didn't do it on purpose and, and you can't do it on purpose. <clears throat> like you can't bring in suicidal thoughts to try to induce a spiritual awakening. I talked about this many years ago. Why? It's because you have consciousness. Like you can't use, you can't fool the universe. <laughs> so you can't use uh, like suicide to, to push yourself into a direction because, because the universe knows that you're using some, you don't actually mean it. You're trying to use it as a tool to induce something. That's not how things work. You don't have control over that. You either open or you don't. Period. You can't make yourself suffer until you open because then you're making you suffer. So that's a conscious choice. You're choosing to suffer. You can't awaken by choosing to suffer consciously.
you can't do that. <laughs> That's not how the system works. You know, this is why I don't recommend that attempting to do what I did. It's just I, but you can get to the same state of going, I don't, I'm not suffering anymore. You don't have to be suicidal. All you have to do is just decide I'm not suffering anymore. I'm not living like this anymore. And then all the ego comes up and it goes, yeah, but who are you going to be? See, this is your ego trying to defend itself. You go, who are you going to be? Uh, you might lose your personality. What if you don't fit in with your friends anymore? What if you don't fit in with your family? What if you end up drooling in a corner of a mental institution on yourself until the day you die? What if you shave your head and become a Harry Krishna and start handing out flowers at the airport? I don't know if they still do that. I just had that picture of that movie Airplane from when I was younger. <clears throat> but the, these are these were literally the thoughts that I had. I literally thought of that. I was like, what if I what what, what if I just snap and I go crazy? I go, okay, then I'll be crazy. It's going to be better than this suffering that I'm in. What if I shave my head and I pass out flowers at the airport? Well, then I'll shave my head and pass out flowers. I don't care. I don't care anymore. I don't care what I turn into if I let go of this suffering. All I care about is letting go of this suffering. And then whatever happens to me, I don't give a crap. And that's the commitment level that I had. And that's why it works so profoundly is because I was unwilling to continue suffering and I didn't give a crap what happened to me. And that gave me the courage to push through. That gave me the courage to let go of everything that I knew. Who I thought I was. It, it, it gave me the courage to push through that fear of going like, oh my God, I, I could end up a lunatic. Okay, I'll be a lunatic. What if I turn into a mass murderer? Okay, I'll be a mass murderer. I don't care. <laughs> what I'm not doing is spending another day suffering. I'm not. It's not happening. That's the level of commitment. You know, so, so it, and it, you have, to me, you have to get that extreme with that type of thinking. I mean, I have to, because I'm an extremist. So I have to really cut to the chase. This is why I talk the way that I talk. I talk to myself even more harsh than I talk to you guys. Trust me. <laughs> you know, I've, I've shared some of the conversations I've had with myself, with some of you people. And you're like, damn, like you're freaking mean to yourself. I cut through the BS. That's what I do. And I just give it to myself straight. Because if I don't, I will dance around and pretend I'm growing and not actually grow. And I'll be like, well, I'll do this, but I won't do that. I do that just like everybody else until I take myself to the woodshed and give myself the straight truth and say, choose. You want to be a meathead or do you want to live a spiritual life? You have the right to do whatever you want. If you don't want to do the spiritual life, don't. But quit whining about it and pretending that you're going, oh, I want to live spiritually. I want to stop suffering. I, I wish I want to. You know how many people I've heard that said you want to stop suffering? And, and they go, oh, my God, yes, please. And they're crying and they're all emotional. I've suffered so much. Please make it stop. Okay, then go home and do this. Well, well, I, I can't do that. I have to work tomorrow. Okay, never mind. 
you're not ready. Yes, I am. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. No, you're not. Then go home and do that. You don't understand. Okay, you're not ready. <laughs> you got to quit the excuses, man. Quit the excuses and do it. This isn't easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. You know, you have to get some courage up and push through this. And you have to be sick and tired of suffering to be able to do it. Um, let me see if there's anything else. Yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of people, what they do is they just, they feel fear and overwhelm when they're in that space that I'm talking about, of, about trying to let go. And they, they, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It looks, sometimes it feels like I've experienced this. Sometimes it feels like you're literally standing on the edge of a cliff and you, you, you like, you need to fall into this black abyss of sheer pain and hell and you stand there and and you're like oh my god i can't lean into my feelings there i can't lean into that pit of of hell of of pain of sheer pain just the blackest blackness of pain i, I i'll implode i won't exist anymore i'll go crazy i'll never come out that's where you got to go in that's exactly where you have to lean in and jump. Leap in the net will appear. Go in. Feel that stuff. Cry. Snot bubble. Hyperventilate. Pass out if you have to. <laughs> um, and when you're in the middle of that, you can break it up. You know, I didn't know this when I first leaned in that first time. I was I was laying on the floor ready to go unconscious. I was like half conscious. And, and I just thought like, I can't do this anymore. And as soon as I thought that, it stopped. The pain stopped. The suffering stopped. And I was like, oh, my God, I wish I would have known I could do that five minutes ago. <laughs> you know, so we have free will. So we have domain. We've stuffed our emotions for 50 years. What makes us think that we can't stop and stuff our emotions one more day? <laughs> right. So if you lean into that abyss and it's becoming too much, you can always stop it. That's a good thing to know. But you do need to lean into that abyss. You know, this is this is why not everybody does it. It's because this is what we're talking about here. You know, but on the other side of that, that it's that knot hole of pain. When you squeeze through that knot hole of pain, it, it, it's hard and it's difficult and it's horrible. But when you pop out the other side, it's pure love and there's peace. That everything that you ever wanted is on the other side of that. Kim, do you record these podcasts? I would like to have somebody listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, on, on, uh, well, on Facebook, they're, they're up there for a while, you know? Um, I don't know if they stay up forever, but they're on Facebook, uh, and even afterwards. And then, um, on YouTube, they're up permanently from, I think as soon as I stop recording, you know, it's, it's live on YouTube now and it will be, recorded as soon as i press end <laughs> so and then um and then i think it's i think our schedule right now is within a week that now we caught up i was way delayed but i think within a week now they go up on insight timer and they go up on every other platform that podcasts are out there spotify itunes um 
audible.com um iHeartRadio, you name it it's they're uploaded i think within a week if not shortly thereafter so so yeah so this is what it takes you know this is what it takes and and i'm telling you you know at, just to give you i'm going to close on this just to give you an example of what um what it was like after i had my initial awakenings when i had afterwards i like after my fifth step which in recovery that's i go through my fourth and i write down all my fears my harms done others my sexual harms done others and my resentments i write all that stuff down my fifth step is going over that with a sponsor verbally so i had a huge awakening after my fifth step after that i felt so much peace and love I shifted so much after that, that one experience that I went to my sponsor and I said, when do I, when do we do the eighth and ninth step? <laughs> and he's like, what? I said, yeah, the eighth and ninth. He's like, that's making amends. And I said, yeah, I know. When do we get to that? And he's like, well, we got to do six and seven and then you can write out your eight and then you'll do your nine. I go, yeah, but I mean, time wise, how long? He's like, I don't know. It depends on how long it takes us. Maybe a couple of weeks, a few weeks, something like that. And I'm like, okay, I because I want to do that. He's like, what do you mean? You want to do your ninth step? You want to go make amends to people? And I said, yes, yes, that's what I want. He's like, why? Nobody wants to do a ninth step. Going and facing people that you have resentments to and that you have fears and you've and you've harmed them. Nobody looks forward to going and doing that. So why do you want to go do that? And I and I said, because I experienced so much peace, love and joy from taking action in my fifth step that I want to take more action. And I don't give a crap how painful it is. If I get even a quarter of the peace, love, and contentment that I experienced in my body because of that fifth step, I will squeeze through any knothole of pain necessary to get more of it. I'm in. And I was like that for like five years. Somebody years later, somebody was, <laughs> I heard somebody go, you know, what's really painful family of origin work. That is excruciating because you go back to your family of origin where all your triggers were developed and you climb right into that it's so painful and i went really i want to do that how do i do that and people are like what's wrong with you for years i was seeking out pain because i knew what was on the other side of it i wasn't i didn't care about the pain i mean did i like it no but i wasn't really focused on it i didn't really care how much pain i had to go through all i wanted was the prize on the other side I wanted the peace and the love that was on the other side of that. And whatever I needed to go through, I was in. Bring me. That, that's how much peace, love, and joy is on the other side. Most people don't ever get to experience the peace, love, and joy that I've experienced, that other people that are on this path have experienced. I'm telling you, it's so worth it. But you have to risk. You have to let go. You have to leap even though you're scared. You know? So there, that's summon in. So do that, all right? All right, peeps. Thank you for listening. Thank you for participating. It's been a pleasure. I'm going to go and stay safe in my hurricane. This is so cool. I love that I just did a freaking podcast for an hour and a half in the middle of a hurricane. <laughs>
Oh, I love it. Uh, all right. Peace out, everybody. Take care. Looking for more? Check out over 200 episodes of Life Lessons and Laughter, or click the link in the description of this episode to connect with Glenn directly.